everyone. I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's going on, man? Yo, man, doing doing well. Another uh, another exciting week, man. And I, uh, in a different way than last week, right? Like, you and I kind of coming into this, we were like, yo, well, should we skip this week? Should we? And I was like, no, man, there's so much good music out. Um, and also, there's kind of... Uh, a spillover, if you will, from some of the headlines last week, man. And I think that's always exciting. That's 10, that tends to be what happens, right? That's aftermath, right? Yeah. We always, you know, we we try and be transparent here and we're going to get into this a bit later on in the podcast, but we strive to only talk about things when they're relevant. You know, that's, um, that's the philosophy of the site from day one that we're really curating and sticking to the quality stuff instead of just trying to like get clicks and page views and whatever and views and whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, but I think there's some quality stuff. Let's start with the aftermath. So last week was all about Drake and Kanye. And this week we got some follow-ups. So Drake comes in with the best-selling album of 2021 so far. Uh, 604,000 total equivalent albums that streams, YouTube views, like, you know, whatever metric you can consider um you know he broke records last week you know best selling or best streaming album ever in in one day in 24 hour period uh all for certified lover boy so a week later kind of what's your take on the album have you listened to it again you know um both with clb and donda i kind of come back to the songs that i've earmarked for myself and added into my own playlist i haven't since we last spoke on this run it end to end again um and that doesn't really surprise me what about you i've listened to both end to end um donna continues to be a struggle for me just like two hours is just way too long you know i I don't have that i barely have that time for anything you know maybe a movie and speaking of which i saw candy man yesterday and um shout out to jordan peele because he did it again man i think it's his second best movie um you know, um, us wasn't really my thing, uh, but but this one was really, really good. And I think, you know, uh, it's going to go down as, as a classic and it completely reinvented it. Uh, but just I digress on that. But um, two hours and, and that wasn't even two hours. Right. So, yeah, to watch a story unfold of that magnitude, um, you know, in less than two hours, I think that an album can can do the same in, in less than an hour or so. Yeah. And I mean, with Kanye, too, it's not a gripping narrative. I mean, let's just be real. I unless there's something I'm missing and I know that it's a personal album and it's spiritual and it it has tie ins to his late mother. But the way I interpret it just as a fan and as somebody who's been in the music business 20 years, it's an album. And then it's kind of like some remixes or some alternate takes. And, you know, that's not an easy listen. That's different than a two hour double album, you know, Stevie Wonder, you know, something like that. Even the albums we spoke about last week from Tupac or Biggie, or as one of our YouTube commenters said, you know, Wu-Tang Clan with Wu-Tang Forever. Um, It's just a different type of experience when you're getting the same song a second time with a different verse or a different guest. You know, the incentive is far less. Yeah, although I will say that some of the concepts have opened up to me in a different way. You know, I think that the hot take on Jail uh, Part 2 with the baby and Marilyn Manson was that Kanye was making a statement about cancel culture, but I I don't think that that's what the statement was. I think that Kanye, you know, we all know has 
really embraced his uh, his faith over the last uh, couple of years. Not to say that it wasn't there before, obviously with Jesus walks and things like that. But he's been extremely vocal and explicit about it as of late. And I think that the message that he's trying to send is that all sinners, no matter what their sin may be, um, are uh, can be redeemed through the grace of God. You know, and I think that that's I think that's the message that he's trying to send with the baby with obviously his homophobic remarks and with Marilyn Manson, who is accused of some really serious um, sexual misconduct, um, sexual assault. So I thought that was interesting. And I think there are going to be other things that kind of open up with that album over time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'll be curious, Kanye, you know, you and I spent time last week talking about Keem and Kendrick's, you know, family ties. Kanye is a master of visuals. And I think that his videos, especially with the life of Pablo, brought that album into other dimensions and i'm curious with this one you know what that's going to look like especially in a pandemic slash post-pandemic world of of you know what what's what's viable can you get guests together etc um but yeah i mean kanye doesn't do throwaway visuals either yeah i mean i think the listening parties were a sneak peek into that i mean this the, the first one was very almost reminded me of kanye's runaway performance in the vmas that year yeah. where he had that massive stage and it was just him in a red suit walking, you know, back and forth on the white stage. And I think it's white piano. Oh, uh, um, well, he, he had an MPC on a marble. Oh, right. I mean, like to me, and, and, you know, not to digress either, but to me, that is um, certainly of the 2010s. Cause I think that was the beginning of 2010. I mean, one of the top three hip hop performances on television that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's one of the most iconic visuals in that entire listening session the first one was done in that format just him like walking almost like a lion like you know caged uh, across the, the entire mercedes-benz stadium in atlanta pretty epic and then he did something completely different for the second one you know he had probably upwards of a couple hundred people obviously very choreographed uh, we never got into it but i think that there were a couple of yays there you know because the dude in the middle who was supposed to be kanye was actually kind of swollen, was doing like push-ups effortlessly and stuff like that in a way that um, I just don't see, see Ye's arms and chest like producing. Uh, so, um, and then there, there was a, a close-up of a dude who had a much more similar gait to Kanye in the middle of it. And I, it's interesting to me that a lot of people didn't pick up on that, but, you know, with the mask, it was very easy for him to pull up MF Doom of sorts, you know? Yeah, I was thinking Doom and then a headline you had, Years ago, uh, you know, Kanye is the Andy Kaufman of, of rap, I think it was. Yeah. And, you know, Andy Kaufman used to do stuff like that, not with himself, but with the Tony Clifton character. There were several different people that could play that kind of alter ego. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I think we're going to get more. I'm real curious, too, of, of what the next visual um, we're going to get from Drake. I mean, obviously, he chased kind of the, like I said, the, the Good Morning America crowd, in my opinion, with the Too Sexy video, um, I want to see how Drake does a rollout for, you know, some of these songs that in the hip hop community we're unpacking and talking about. Yeah, I mean, he's a master of memes. And, you know, even I, I didn't even pick up on it until someone pointed out to me that the album cover is a living visual. Have you noticed that, that the, that the uh, emojis actually move, they ha their expressions change? They rub their bellies. They sway back and forth. It, yeah, it, no. uh, it, that's just crazy. And so Drake, you know, but before we get on that, like one more thing about Kanye, 
So I do think that the the way that the visuals kind of stepped up with the listening parties are going to be, you know, amplified, you know, times 10 with with um, his concert, with his tour, which sounds like it's going to be pretty eminent. But I'm curious, do you think that, you know, if what he's saying is true, that UMG released it without his permission? Do you think that there's a possibility his plan might have been just to make this like an exhibit, kind of like with what Wu had done with their album that um, was uh, there was only one copy for? Yes, he um, did something like that, you know, yeah. with his traveling. That's a really good point. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that for as powerful as Kanye is, and he still has to find a way to monetize this for the record label and the distributor that he signed to. Um, yeah, but he was making a couple million a, a, a show on merch. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we don't know the terms of the deal, but does UMG, does Def Jam get a piece of that? At this point of renegotiation, I don't know, but I feel yeah. like he has to deliver an album. My suspicion is the album was ready. Kanye, there probably was a Saturday night call of like, yo, boom, we're going to do this. But there was probably one more caveat. Like, you know, Kanye had to George Bush the button. And I'm sure that he didn't get that call or he didn't sign off on the final go through. And, you know, it's, it's different in these days. Um, you and I, even when we upload this podcast, the minute that we hit publish, sometimes there's a lag time. And, um, and that time can vary. And I have a feeling it's just one of those. And Kanye's never been quiet about venting his frustrations with the powers that be. So Yeah, yeah. So on Drake, um, visuals, is there any video that you particularly want to see uh, made or any song that you think, you know, lends itself to visualization? You know, Drake is a great artist. I can't tell you that Drake has made a video that's truly, you know, affected um, my life. Or, you know, we, we talked about the way that, you know, Keem and Kendrick, that video brought me into the Keem part of the song. Drake's never done that for me. I'm just keeping it real. Even when you're talking about Best I Ever Had, which Kanye directed, and you had, you know, the beautiful women coming out, you know, and then kind of the basketball theme. Um, you know, he's affected culture. He's shaped culture. But I don't know that you know, a rapidy rap video from Drake is going to, um, you know, hit me in the ribs. I just want to see how he does it. And when you look at, you know, the first two songs on the album or the final track, um, you know, the, 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 the poppies, you know, I, I'm curious, but, but what about you? You've listened to the album more this week in sequence than I have. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to come from, I mean, so the first one was way too sexy and uh, that had like Kawhi in the background as a background dancer. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of other like hints that we we just haven't picked up on because Drake is also a master at that. But, you know, I think it's going to come, I, I agree with you from some of the the less rapidly rap, you know, the the more kind of theatrical songs. I could see a, a visual with for Girls Want Girls. Um, you know, little baby, um, I, I could see Love All would be a moment if he yes. were to do that with Jay-Z, because to my recollection, there hasn't been a Jay-Z video this year, except for Sorry Not Sorry. Him and Nas on Sorry Not Sorry with Khaled, yes. I think is the only one of these guest verses where he's actually done a visual. So to see him and Jay together, I think would be I think would be significant. Yeah, I'm curious if that happens. I mean, I got to be level with you. I don't know that I've seen Drake get pushed back on a project like this one. Um, you know, you and I last week on this on this podcast, you know, we talked about it and we put, you know, hard numbers up of, of what we felt about the album. And those were not, 
you know, um, emphatic favor. You know, I said that this this album, CLB, is not on my top 15 of the year. And to look at the different publications from all sides of music and culture, um, I've never seen Drake, you know, and it's not like people are coming out and, and you know, massively ripping apart the album, but I have seen, it was either The New Yorker or The Atlantic that called this, um, you know, like an, a, a fuckboy album. Uh, like I've never seen Drake get critical, um, tepid response that, that he's gotten with this album, which leads me to believe. With I, have, he, I have, I have. I got, yeah, More Life, he got a very tepid response on that. He also got a pretty tepid response on Views. Um, he hasn't gotten like critical acclaim on an album in quite some time, maybe since uh, nothing was the same. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and your your nose is in that more than more than mine. Because um, again, I, you know, I liked More Life. But uh, my point being, you know, Jay, it was so um, manicured about his, you know, what he gets involved in and to what extent. I don't know that th- that that song in particular in this album met with a, you know, emphatic yes if jay's going to come out and do a video for the boy you know the yeah kid. yeah i guess it, it probably also depends on where he is with kanye these days too you know word yeah yeah so one of the things that came out uh was that drake had dissed uh, swiss beats on the album did you pick up on that when you first listened to it? the song is you only live twice yeah, I did. And, you know, that was a headline that, that I saw in publications immediately after the album dropped. Everyone's trying to find their clickbait. And, you know, I thought it was some clever writing in it um, because Drake, what does he do in the song? He mentions, he references You Fancy. He references an Alicia Keys song. Um, and he kind of responds to what I believe is the genesis of this, which is, you know, after one of the verses, I cannot remember which one right now, Swizz in an odd, in an odd breaking character, in my opinion, called Drake uh, the, the P word, pussy. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. I mean, like I could see 2005 Swizz doing something like that, but I mean, Swizz is one of those artists that I really, every time he speaks, I think he represents our culture so well and so beautifully, and we've covered that a lot over the years on AFH. Um, now, to Swizz's credit, the very next day he came, retracted the statement, apologized. Um, and, you know, we can speculate. And I think you have an interesting thought on it as to why Swiss may have said that about Drake. Yeah. So he was a little nice. Um, I, I remember watching that that IG live and he was definitely a bit tipsy after the, the you know, celebrating. I can't even remember which one it was. I suspect what prompted it was someone in IG made a comment about Drake and probably asking if Drake was going to do a versus. And I think that, that um, Swiss said that now, the reason why I think that now is because uh, recently Swiss was on, I think it was the breakfast club or I can't remember what show, but um, there was chatter about a Kanye versus Drake versus, and that would be, in my opinion, the biggest verses of all time. Like, I, yeah. I think that could do like 5 million, like real time streams. Like, it would just be almost, I'm not going to get crazy and say Super Bowl numbers, but certainly Super Bowl of music numbers. I, I think it would rival, certainly rival Takashi 69's, you know, record breaking IG Live of 2 million streams when he first got back from prison. I think it would be up there with Travis Scott's appearance in Fortnite 
I think in this digital age, it would be the biggest event of all time. And um, Swizz intimated that Kanye was down to do it, uh, but they couldn't get Drake on board. And so I think that his response in calling him that was him saying that Drake was afraid to go against Kanye on Versus. What do you That's think? interesting. Yeah, I mean, at the time, people speculated that it, it was in regards to a leaked Busta Rhymes and Drake track. Um, and I, at the time, suspected that it was about paperwork. You know, Drake and Swizz had made great records early in Drake's career. Um, they haven't really followed that up. And I thought, this is just a paperwork thing of, of, of Drake not, not, you know, clearing a song or whatever. And also, I mean, Swizz has, has stayed in Kanye's camp in recent years. Whereas I perceive his relationship with Drake to get further and further apart. Um, so at the time, that was what I speculated. But I really like your reasoning too, because if that were to happen, that would make versus, um, you know, for as far as that platform has come in the last year and a half, that would that would push it into the, you know, that would make it meteoric. And, and I don't ever see that happening. I think Kanye would do it in a heartbeat. And I think that one of the, you know, the fact that the locks are on Donda, and from what I've read, less than 24 hours, they defeated Dipset um, on that. You could check our podcast episode on that one. Boom, they go to Atlanta to work on it. And so Kanye, who's such a student of real-time pop culture, watches this thing. And in, in my mind right now, you know, Kanye is looking for a way to climb back. And he could do that through something like Versus. I don't think there could be an upside for Drake. I think Drake is the perceived, you know, got the upper hand right now. And I think it would be his battle to lose. And I don't know that Drake with antics in real time on video like that could ever compete with somebody who's done it for, you know, damn near 20 years with Ye. I, I disagree firmly. I think that Drake, I've got a playlist um, that is over a hundred songs with Drake uh, albums, uh, Drake singles, Drake features, and every single song is a hit. Drake could do an entire tour where he did 10 nights in a row, you know, different sets every night, just pure hits. And Kanye, as great as he is, you know, I think he wins artistically for sure. You know, we've, we've had that conversation and, you know, very few have done what Kanye has done in terms of artistic achievement. But pure hits, pure bangers, I think, I don't know that anyone could compete with Drake, period, across the board. Yeah, I mean, it just reminds me of Locks and Dipset. And, you know, I don't know that Drake's showmanship, I mean, for as good as he is, I, and to be 100% fair and transparent, I have never seen Drake live. Have you? Yes, I have. Yeah. Good, great show? You know, it was. I think it was the Take Care tour and... um you know, it was fine. It was, it was, there was nothing special about it. It wasn't Kanye. Kanye puts on a show, but I don't know that the verses would be at that level, although they've been getting higher and higher production quality. And so I could see it, but I'll say this, like Drake is really good at subs and uh, he's really a fantastic, as, as great a marketer as Kanye is. Drake is also a fantastic marketer in a different way in that he plants little seeds and lets them grow. And they're almost like Easter eggs. Whereas mm -hmm. Kanye is much more, you know, uh, set himself on fire kind of approach where, you know, it's, it's really just a um, spectacle. And yeah. so I, I, I'll, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, 
I could see Drake taking the baby face approach. Where okay. he's just just real slick about it, real talking real greasy, yeah. you know, smiling the whole time and just slicing you the whole time. I could see I could see him taking that approach and you know making moments. He's really great at making memes. We know that from Hotline Bling and and all sorts of stuff and Tussy Slide and whatever. Um, I could see him just create being so strategic that every single minute would become like uh, memes, like you know, going forward. That's a, I support that analogy, and I think if if Drake were to if it were to happen, that would be a great way for him to go about it too. Because if you hit Kanye with an icy or an upper handed, you know, kind of aesthetic dynamic, Kanye could very easily, you know, uh, Teddy Riley himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, so there's been increased pushback on Drake over time. My experience in talking to people has been there's been increased favorability toward Donda. A lot of people have said that they really like it. Uh, that's really touching to them. Uh, people have talked about crying and things like that. Have you heard? Have you heard? I've been hearing that too. Or what no, I, I haven't heard that. I did see an interesting tweet and made headlines this week that Pusha T liked it. I wasn't really interested in that aspect of it. That doesn't surprise me. But, you know, the second day numbers um, of CLB went down, which you would presume for a lot of albums. I don't know. Drake, it wouldn't surprise me if they went up too, But Kanye's went up significantly on day two. And to me, the devil's in the details there because Kanye released the album at 8 a.m. on the East Coast on a Sunday after weeks, if not months of anticipation. It just happened to you know, I texted you, it's out. And you were like, yo, MF, or it was out four hours ago. <laughs> um, you know, it just, it just kind of like slid through the goal. Um, and meanwhile, Drake had all of this, you know, anticipation and lead up. So of course, by Monday, Kanye is going to have this spillover. But I do see um, now that both albums are out and it's kind of turned into a this or that discussion, I definitely do see Donda getting the more love. Um, so I, I agree with that, but I haven't, I've yet to come across people that, you know, have said that it's affected them that way. I did play, you know, like I said, the curated joints on my playlist this week, driving around, you know, in the city, all of that. And, uh, I was curious cause I thought about, it. I was like, I haven't heard any car, you know, playing the music yet on that one. I have with Drake, but, uh, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you see, you raise an interesting point. I'm wondering if, Kanye had released on that Friday instead of Sunday when everyone was anticipating if it would would have had bigger stream numbers than Drake. Because when it was released, it was released at like 8 a.m., I think, Eastern time yeah. on a Sunday morning with no one having any idea that it was coming. So it took time for people to even find it. Um, but I wonder if that really hurt his streams. I would think so. And, and I, you know, I didn't put it together at the time and it kind of speaks to your question about Con, Kanye blaming UMG, but that's usually the time the old folks are going into church on the morning, like that early service. And, you know, this album, you know, I know he put out Jesus is King, you know, two years ago, and that was the, the gospel album. That was the, the Christian hip hop album. But this one, I mean, for anyone that's listened to it, you know, spirituality and faith and God and Jesus are, are huge um, themes of the album so yeah but he did himself no favors putting it out then and to me oddly enough the album is one of those albums that I think sounds better at night it's one of those albums that if you're going to listen to you can listen to in the final two or three hours of the night provided you've got the time um, but that's when it sounds best 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's a dark album, but the last three albums, or yeah, three albums or so that he's made, I think are dark albums. Uh, I think it started with Yeezus, which yeah. was very, very dark. Um, Yay, Yay is pretty dark also, and and this and Life of Pablo for sure. So, yeah, it's interesting, man. So one of the things that came out of Kanye's album, one of the best things, literally came out actually, meaning that it was taken out of the album. And that was a song called Life of the Party featuring Kanye and Andre 3000. Now, you broke the story. You want to set up by let's talk about the angle that we approached it first and then let's get into the song. Yeah, I talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but, um, you know. A snippet from Kanye's July 18th listening session, which I believe was in Las Vegas, not one of the live streamed events. But somebody had cut a snippet of Andre 3000 and Kanye, um, you know, made this song together. And all we got was a snippet. And then, um, you know, both albums come out. Donda's out. CLB is out. The same day, the same weekend that CLB drops, Drake goes on his serious, serious XM radio platform that he currently has. And he plays the whole version. And, you know, there's one, there's one thing that's important there is Kanye's verse in the song this is Drake. Um, you know, he mentions, uh, you know, some of their text exchanges that seem like Kanye was working towards peace. It involves Virgil Abloh and Kid Cudi. Um, but he also says to Drake in the text something on GD, which can mean, um, you know, on God, like, yo, I mean this, but it can also be a reference to gangster disciples. Um, you know, <laughs> and it, which if the case is a threat. So Drake plays the whole song. And what's interesting about it is in the wake of that, Andre 3000 steps out and goes, hey, I didn't want to be involved in this. Um, the verse that I recorded on the song, which we're going to talk about in a second, was met with another verse entirely by Kanye. And that subsequently changed. I have respect for Kanye. I have respect for Drake. I want to work with anyone that's inspiring. And he gave a list of artists that include Kendrick Lamar, Jay-Z, um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. Well, Tyler, yeah, um, you know, a few, possibly a few other people that he wanted to work with. And that was that. And to me, we, we covered it on the site. And I felt as though the headline was, you know, Andre 3000 got dragged into this. And I, I believe that was a headline. I know that that is, um, I don't, it's accurate and it's salacious at the same time. Um, we've seen that before where, you know, somebody will say one thing on a song that brings a lot of attention to the record. But what's different about this one is the content of Andre 3000's verse, because he's talking about his late mother. And, you know, in a way, um, and, and you and I have run into this in the past, in a way, I think there's two headlines. I think that is the news story. But one of the things that I think we're going to do here that we didn't get a chance to do on the site is just talk about how amazing that verse is from Andre 3000 on that song. Yeah, I, I got to say, so... I didn't hear the full song until maybe four or five days ago. Had you heard it before then? 
I heard it one time and it was a breaking story when we covered it. And I'm, you know, the unreleased music's a funny thing, right? Because it happens and, and, you know, there's people and I'm sure we've all run into this. We try to find something that's not authorized to be out and you can find versions on YouTube that are sped up, that are slowed down versions where some, you know, bus stop rapper will add a verse of themselves in there with the upload. We, we included a version of the song, but I'm not sure. And, and with all that was going on, that it was the version that you and I later texted ourselves this week, which is currently in the article right now. Yeah. You know, so I got to say that, first of all, I think this is the best song that the album created. You know, uh, it is just a masterful song. And the unfortunate thing about Kanye's verse, too, is that the Drake beef got the headlines, but it was a much more comprehensive verse than just, uh, you know, than Drake. He was also very personal about his mom and about a bunch of other things. We'll unpack it. But Andre 3000's verse was an absolute masterpiece. Like, I I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it is one of the greatest verses I've ever heard from Andre 3000 in my lifetime. And Andre 3000 is obviously one of the greatest MCs and has so many great verses from, you know, 16 ain't enough. The joint with, with, uh, I think TI, uh, sorry. Uh, he's got just over the years, just his guest verses have just been phenomenal, let alone the stuff that he did with outcast. But this one is above and beyond. Um, you know, he is, well, first of all, he frames the whole thing as a conversation with Miss Donda, um, you know, Kanye's mom. And that's a refrain that, that, that continues throughout the song where he's talking to Miss Donda, who's obviously in heaven. And he, he's talking to her about things like, you know, the fact that he feels like, well, actually, I'm going to step back. Before I get into that, I, I want to say it's interesting to me that arguably the two best verses of the year come from hip hop's two biggest recluses. And that's uh, Andre and then Lauren Hill, because you and I have had the same conversation about the best first of the year regarding Lauren and, and her song with, with Nas. Um, but I think that this one even surpasses that. What they both have in common is they're deeply personal, very autobiographical. Lauren caught us up about what she's been doing over the last, you know, X amount of years. She talked about like people ridiculing her for being late, and but she's trying to be great. Um, she, she really got into a lot of things that she's been attacked about online in a way that made you know that she's been paying attention and she's actually got an opinion and feelings about these things. And she was like articulating them on an incredibly artful level. Andre, by contrast, really talks about the complicated relationship that he's had with his mom, both in life and in death. And so he starts off by saying to Ms. Donda that he's been feeling like he's lost connection with his mom. Now, his mom died in 2013 at the age of 58, which is really, really um, sad because that's such a young age. Um, but it seems like he's felt like he's had those signs from her, you know, and, and I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I lost my dad in December and I lost a, a cousin I was close to recently. And there are things that, that, that we experience as human beings that whether they're signs or we're just putting meaning on them, uh, feel like the person is connecting with us. So my dad fl- uh, flew a French flag outside of his house and I was walking in my neighborhood recently and I saw somebody had a French flag, flag flying. And then, um, you know, my, my cousin was in a group called Hillside, uh, and that, which I'd never heard of um, back in, in our hometown. And 
literally two blocks away from me is a street called Hillside and there's a Hillside Deli. So these things that like, just like pop up that take on new meaning. Like um, I think a lot of people see as ways that uh, the people we've lost communicate with us in this life. But he says that, you know, Miss Donna, he feels like he's lost. He's been losing connection with his mom. And so, um, and he questions whether there's a heaven at all because of that. And, you know, but then he talks about that there actually have been little signs like, you know, babies crying and you know, the way the grass feels on them that reminds him. Um, but have you had, have you ever had any kind of signs like that? Absolutely. You know, I, um, I lost my grandfather uh, July 1st, 96. Like he literally died in my arms um, unexpectedly. And July 1st is always a weird day for that. And, you know, this year in particular, you know, it's 25 years and, things happen on those days on July 1st that make me think of him. It could be, you know, like a, a star twinkling or something like that. Not as, you know, your, your, your explanation is a powerful one, but there are signs in the air. And I think of a lot of the people that I've lost. There's, um, you know, even walking around Philadelphia, there's these signs of you got to pick up after your dog, curb your dog. And a buddy of mine from high school stole one of those signs when he was in Philly. And later he passed away. And every time I see that sign, I think of Tom and they're all over the city. So, yeah, I mean, and, and that's it. And, and the way that I love hip hop so much because I truly believe there is a song for everything. And I know there's people out there that are passionate about other genres. But when you look at Dre's verse in particular on this song, I don't know that there's ever been a song quite like it. And it speaks to a dynamic of, you know, our connections to really important people that have passed away that I'm sure is in everyone's life. Yeah. I mean, so he starts off talking about their communication and relationship after her life. And then he gets into uh, the dynamic they had when she was alive. And he talks about, you know, he, it's just so masterful the way he does it, because he'll tell a story about something about himself that will open up all sorts of like information about what the person was doing. So he'll, he'll say that he used to try to get his mom to stop smoking um, by smoking weed himself. And, and, but then he reveals that, uh, he's quit, he quit smoking weed for 20 years, but has recently restarted, you know? So, and then he talks about how his mom overstepped at times and, you know, it's, it's an, it's, it's, he resists the temptation of painting her as a perfect person. You know, typically we'll go back and romanticize people and, uh, you know, make them something bigger than life after life but this to me is almost like dear mama where tupac is very very transparent and real black fiend black exactly queen, yeah. about his mother and you know i think that's what makes it resonate even more is because we all have complicated relationships with our parents you know and, and with our kids if we are parents so um you know three stacks does that he talks about the fact that he liked going to church not because of the religious aspect but because there was a girl there that he was you know actually having sex with at church um and and calls it both pure and perverted but uh and that's the line actually that it seems like got the song taken off of the album but you want to talk about that yeah i saw a remark and i spoke about it in the last episode where you know there was a question over Donda not having any curses and there are curses on Donda that are bleeped out. You know, the locks verse um, for sure. It's either Sheik or Jadakiss has that where there's dead spots in the record. Um, but when Andre 3000 learned of the intent, intent of that, the artistic intent 
the song didn't come out. And I wasn't sure if that was because of Kanye's part or Andre's part. But from what you're saying and what we now know, you know, a week or so later, that's what withheld the song. But it's so interesting to me that, you know, it, I, unreleased music is funny, right? Like you and I had a conversation recently about posthumous records. And I know you love, you know, we both are, are huge fans of Tupac. I listen to the posthumous stuff. You don't, decidedly. Um, leaks are a funny thing, too. And as a kid, I got really excited when you could hear something that not everyone else has. And now they're funny, too, because you don't know what Andre heard when he said that to what Kanye heard. And I do agree with the point you make. I don't think that Kanye's verse is by any means a throwaway. I think that it's a bit unfair that he used it as an opportunity to get kind of rap political with with Drake. But, um, you know, it makes me wonder what Dre heard in Ye to do his verse in the first place. If that makes sense. Well, so Kanye, and I don't know, you know to your point, what, what verse that Dre heard, but Kanye also does talk about his mom uh, a little bit, but he, also, he, he really more focuses on his artistic journey. He talks about the fact that he was the father of the, the styles of most MCs now through 808 and Heartbreaks, and that's something you and I have talked about in conjunction with this album, that he has a lot of, of the younger MCs and some people could see that as clout chasing, but in reality, he has as much a right as anyone to do it because most of their styles were, were actually influenced by him. And he talks about being on the outs with Sai High to Prince, who is arguably his greatest co- creative collaborator, you know, from the days of, uh, did he write Jesus Walks? I, I can't remember. No, that no, was, that was, that, that was uh, yeah, that was Ron Fest. But uh, Sai High came on board. Uh, definitely during my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and was with him for cruel summer and um, you know, ends in Paris and, and Jesus and a lot of, a lot of great songs. Uh, and Sahai actually was a writer on sicko mode mm-hmm. with Travis Scott and Drake, which I'm sure was a sensitive spot for yay. Given how, you know, we've, we've talked about extensively how complicated his relationship is with Drake. But one of the things that Sahai apparently said to Kanye is that Sicko Mode was his greatest achievement, writing-wise. And so I can imagine how that may have made Kanye feel, given that, one, it wasn't one of his songs, and two, it was a song that featured Drake. Um, and this thing Kanye, arguably. Yeah, exactly. And so he said that because of that, like that's basically why their relationship is has been on ice for the last few years. And um, so I thought that was really interesting. There's a, a interview that uh, on Vlad TV where, where Sahai talks about this extensively. But um, you know, what, what, was, what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a stream of consciousness verse. It's Kanye venting in real time. Um, but again, I mean, if you and I are working on something, and I show it to you and you contribute and then I get the final, you know, I get the, the final edit, final cut. And I do something. I mean, Kanye is very aware of culture, very aware of how things are perceived. He said great things on the record. It's fine that he said what he said about Drake, but he should have checked in with, with Andre. And I know that this record was not put out, but somebody leaked it. Somebody did that. And, and I feel, you know, for as great as, as, as Dre's verse is, I feel sad for him that we're getting this and I don't disagree with what you said either I think this is truly 
you know, definitely a top three verse. I got to listen to it and Lauren side by side, but that this, this wasn't kind of done the right way. I mean, you just got to feel some type of way with that. Yeah. I think there's two different points though. You know, so well, one other thing I wanted to note on the Kanye verse is that he talks about uh, protecting his daughters from, he doesn't ever want his daughters to end up in playboy and that, um, you know, they talk about over sexualization in the house. I thought that was really, really ironic, given, you know, the fact that Kim Kardashian um, and her sisters uh, and 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 um, and half sisters that, you know, the Kardashian Jenners have made an entire economy on um, on very sexualized imagery. You know, um, I think it was Paper Magazine uh, yeah. where she, you know, she broke the Internet with nude pictures and things like that. Um literally and you know we all know about the sex tape and stuff like that so it, it sounds like there's a really deep conflict at kanye's core about this because um you know clearly the woman he loves uh, and love or loved and, and the mother of his child and, and who even knows what, what the status of the relationship is now given her appearances with the kids and stuff at the the listening parties but to put a line like that is also incredibly vulnerable. So I don't know that I would judge his verse uh, as not being as personal as Andre's verse. Um, and, you know, and the, the Drake stuff is definitely a part of that, but that's also a personal thing for Ye and a vulnerability because him acknowledging these things shows that Drake is on his mind and, and affecting him, him in a way that people might not have known had he not said those things. But putting that aside, it's unclear to me whether it was Dre who I don't think Dre pulled this verse. I think that it didn't come out because Kanye wanted it to be clean and Dre wanted to have the lyrics stand as exactly they were. Cause he said that in the statement that his art needed to stand and, and be kind of exactly as it was mm. Because that was the expression that he intended and the the notion of having it bleeped or edited didn't stand with what he saw as the artistic vision and what needed to be said in the verse. So I think it was actually him that didn't give approval. And that's why the song wasn't on, not the other way around. Interesting. Not him not giving approval because of the, the censorship, not because of the diss, I should say. Word. But I also think from what I read in that same statement that the version that Drake leaked is not the last version. Well, I guess, you know, Dre isn't explicit of whether he heard that or not, but he said that, you know, the version that they made together had a different, different um, yeah. content from Kanye. Yeah. So it could have been, I'm sure. And I, I think he was disappointed in that, but I don't know that it would have stopped him from, from allowing it. But in any case, do we think that, that this verse is ever, this, this song is ever going to come out officially in some way? I don't think so. I think that this will, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, Dre's run of verses. It's funny, you know, he hit a stride in 07 in particular. That's incredible. And a lot of that stuff was on remixes, you know, um, Jay-Z's 30 something, uh, Rich Boys, throw some D's on it. Like Dre was just hopping on all these remixes. He was in a really inspired place and you can find that stuff, but it's not on the DSPs. It was never, you know, a lot of it was white labeled and a lot of it, um, was kind of unofficial and I think we're we're right back to that I don't I can't see this coming out properly and wouldn't it be something if you know truly one of the best verses of the year um, you know was leaked you know yeah I, 
I wonder, I can't think of another time when something of this magnitude, um, I guess maybe some of the early iterations of like detox or something like that, but something that had this kind of impact on the culture and that was, oh, you know what it was? I, I, I think that the first thing or one of the arguably something that is similar to this is um, what ultimately became basalts. Hmm. So uh, the song with uh, DMX, Jay-Z and Nas and, and the earlier version had Jadakiss that leaked back in 2013, uh, 2014, something like that. Um, or maybe well, 2015, 2016. 20, February of 2017 is when 17. Um, okay. Is when that came up in the uh, Swiss beats just blaze battle. Yeah. So four years ago and you know, we had no idea what it was from, whose who song it was, anything like that. And it took four years for it to come out, but it eventually did come out. And it still had impact when it did. It didn't have the same kind of impact, I think, that it would have had it come out like a couple months later. But I'm, I'm really wondering if, uh, if this will see the light of the day, because it would be shameful if it didn't, because it's just such a phenomenal verse. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example of it. I, I, Jay-Z has done it a few times, you know, Dear Summer kind of as a freestyle and then later appears on a Memphis Bleak album, formally produced. And then, you know, also Ignorant Shit, you know, which was crazy because that came out, again, just kind of as a, a freestyle with him and Beanie Siegel. And then it appears on the American Gangster joint at a time when, when Dre and Beans are not really in the greatest of uh, shape. And, it, and, and on a highly conceptual album, it came out, but... But yeah, I mean, I would, this is something I'll come back to. I hope that, I hope that the powers that be let it exist on the internet. Um, certainly at this point enough, people out there have downloaded it. I don't, you know, I don't, it's funny to me. I don't, I haven't downloaded a song and I can't tell you how long other than, you know, a press screener or something like that. I haven't done it as a fan, um, but it really is a gem. And I, to me, to bring it full circle, that was the frustration is, you know, everyone's reading into the headline of Drake doing it strategically but I'm glad you and I here a week later are talking about the art of the song because that to me is the greatest takeaway. And speaking of art, so do you think, how much do you commend Andre if it is the case that he didn't let it be released because he wanted his verse to stand as it was for his artistic integrity? You, you think it's integrity? Do you think it is uh, obsessiveness? Where would you put it? Somewhere in between? Yeah, yeah somewhere in between. I mean, Dre you know, he's the guy that walks around playing his clarinet. I mean, you know, very inspired by jazz, he even made some songs in recent years that I would classify as jazz. And, you know, you're not going to ask Miles Davis to do another cut once you get a certain point in your career. You're not going to ask Kanye West to do another cut at some point in your career. I mean, these are artists. And the one thing I know of Dre from the limited interviews and conversations he's done in recent years, he's a man of inspiration. So I think he recorded that in a very inspired moment. It's very personal you know, some of it may very well have been, you know, kind of written off the dome in a way of just like what you're feeling in that moment. So to come back in and do it any differently or have it changed in post, you don't want that. And I think Dre deserves that. It's truly one of the goat lyricists of, uh, you know, any genre, but absolutely hip hop. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I hope it comes out, man, because it is truly one of the highlights of hip hop for me so far this year. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In the meantime, there was another verse that was noteworthy this week. And I think this one impressed you even more than it did me. And that came from Common. But you want to talk about that? Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. You and me in freestyles. So, I mean, growing up, I, I loved, you know, Sway and King Tex. You know, freestyles. I love, you know the the cali kings the places where you could see an mc truly spit was such a big deal to me and now you know in in new culture there's all of these different vehicles and venues for mcs to do that um and you i think are a bigger proponent than i it was you that spotlit the uh mickey facts financial literacy freestyle that we recently talked about with him but when i get excited about a freestyle i think it's it's a big deal because I'm, I'm i'm hard to impress at this point and I can truly tell you that Commons freestyle um, on the LA leakers was the most excited I've been about a freestyle since Black Thought on Funk Flex in what December of 2017, maybe 2018, um, but I think of 17. More than more than J Cole's LA Leakers freestyle this year. Yeah, respect to Cole, and I, I think there's a relationship to Cole in common with that because you know we've gotten to a point pre-pandemic where, you know, a lot of MCs would appear on Sway in the morning and you got to do it. You got to do the five fingers. I mean, there's some that don't. Um, and some of it's really cool. A lot of it is just kind of a novelty. But somehow in 2020, when this ish all closed down, um, we had it taken away from us for a while, just all of these venues. And now to watch, um, you know, J. Cole, absolutely, you know, top five of the moment artists, you know, just in terms of, impact consciousness from hip-hop for him to do um a freestyle in la leakers before the off season i think it was really really poignant and it really showed where his head was at in relationship to music making and art and hip-hop and then to have common do it it's funny too because you know jay J. cool has an album coming out that everyone knows is coming you know it's going to be the conversation piece of that week if not that month Common's a little different. I mean, Common has had those moments in years past, but I feel like Common, um, far more than he deserves, gets ignored lately. You know, I think we think of Common as this ambassador of hip hop into, you know, film and into books and all these other things. But we forget that this is a hip hop to the core dude. And he goes on LA Leakers and just reminds you why he's, you know, calm sense. And, you know, two instrumentals. It was a group home joint, I believe, The Realness. Living Proof. Living Live Proof. proof. Real yeah. proof. Thank you. And then Incarcerated Scarfaces by Raekwon. And Common, you know, I, I Common's always been an elite freestyle in hip-hop. And I've seen him as much as I've seen any MC live. He brings that to his live show. He was on Sway and Tech in the 90s. He's brought it to LA Leakers three or four years ago. But this was a moment for him, and I really, really enjoyed it because it was more than just a dazzling lyric lyrical display. It was him stepping up and doing exactly what I'm talking about, reminding you what he wants to be remembered by before all that other stuff. 
Yeah, it had great moments, great punchlines, great pop culture references. Um, I think for me, I enjoyed Cole's freestyle more just because his cadence, he just burned it down with, with his flow in a way, you know, um, Common's cadence is very um, straightforward. Whereas I think that, that Cole's was more intricate and, and I think he was more aggressive with it too, lyrically. And uh, I definitely like the beats he chose better, but uh, you know, I just thought that Coles set him up as like I, I think it's the best freestyle of the year still, and I think Wait, it's you set like him. You like Coles beats better or Common's? I like I like the the beats that Cole rapped over better than than the ones that Common rapped over. You going over sitting sideways? Over... Still tipping, still tipping, <laughs> still and uh, and what was the other one? Uh, Souls of Mischief, uh, uh, Affinity. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to push you under the bus. Man. No, so it's it's one. It's one. You know, if if, if I could combine um, '93 till infinity and incarcerated Scarfaces, then I'm good. You know, um, but the way that Cole used them, and the way he changed up his flow on still tipping, and you know, hardest shit out of the South since slavery. I mean, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> But that's no not taking anything away from Common because I went back and listened to it again today and he was definitely spitting. And I, I share your point that it's amazing to see a guy as accomplished as he is, you know, a guy who literally has an Emmy, an Oscar and multiple Grammys, and he still wants to go and freestyle. Um, the interesting thing is he made no mention of the fact that he was releasing an album this week and you know uh, but he and cole both actually use this la leakers format as a way to introduce their albums cole is very explicit about it Com just went in uh, burned it down and and then let you know heads find the album uh, on their own but what do you think of of that now as a way you know, I, I feel like that the rollout has gotten more and more compressed a lot of times people just drop an album with no marketing rollout at all or else it's just like a, a week or two. I've actually been lobbying for this for years. Uh, internally, I've said it doesn't make sense. I've spoken with several manager friends of mine uh, and said it makes no sense to market an album in this day and age before it's released because you want to drive to streams. Everything is based on, you know, the, the economics and, and, and charts and everything are based on real-time streams. And so why would you market something that people can't actually go and listen to? So I actually think this is a step in the right direction of marketing. But what do you think of using freestyles as, as a marketing form? I think it's a great calling card. I think it works exceptionally well for Common in this because for as prolific as he is and all of his albums are neatly defined, you know, that he's he is one of the most thematic, um, you know, artists in all of music, let alone hip hop. I mean, throughout his career, you can usually think of a Common album and one or two themes that go with it in a, in a much more defined way than most MCs, especially when you look at the late nineties and two thousands, when that just wasn't in vogue, people were trying to give you a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, you know, and he's been passed over. So for this moment to see calm all over my timeline, to see people just rally for him, it's a great reminder. And then to your point, when you get to the album, you see that it's a reflection of that. You know, this is a guy who wants you to know that he's an MC first before all else. I do challenge you a little bit. I, I, I think, for the same reasons you're saying it makes no sense, you have to do a little bit of pre-album marketing. And even with Common, he put out two, if not three singles before this week. And the sad truth is, I know I don't know about you, but for me, at, at midnight on Friday, I'm checking release radar 
because there's so many artists out there that don't have publicists and I'm, I don't spend all of my time on social media to see who's doing what, but you need to get somebody that's listened to you in the last six months to get your song on their release radar to see that they put out more music. You know, one other person this week that put out an album is AZ and, and we, we, we did a story on it, added some joints to the playlist. And I looked at the comments on Facebook and so many people were unaware that it was coming out because that's just the nature of the beast. So you got to play the game a little bit. But um, they were aware though, when, when it was out there, they became aware. True. But if not for, you know, and this isn't to be self-aggrandizing, but if not for AFH, you know, how are you going to find out? I mean, you, you're going to wait till some, like it takes the middle person to make it known. I don't, this, I don't okay. disagree with that. Okay. All I'm saying is that the timing when the middle person makes it known, I think, um, matters. And so we can make it known two weeks ago. And by the time the album comes, people have forgotten about it because attention spans are two days now, if that. But if we make it, if we shine a light on it right when people can listen to it, then that's when it's going to drive the consumption. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I just see. And in, in some ways, your point about Kanye, I think, bolsters this because his album, once people became aware, did better even on the second day. And I guarantee there's going to be upticks when there's a, a great video, when he goes on tour. There is still a bump after award shows and, and significant cultural moments like that. Versus. JK. Versus. Yeah, yeah. Versus. I don't know what it gets you to do it ahead of time. You know, um, I just think it's an old school way of, of, of marketing. That's fair. Let me ask you a question. And do you think, I mean, we're talking about the LA leakers and it's funny too. I mean, you know, you and I, you know, you've, you've lived in LA in recent years part-time, but like, I'm not in LA. I don't know just incredible. I don't know DJ sour milk. I've known them through these freestyles and through some of their interviews, but do you think the LA leakers have become the predominant freestyle venue for hip hop now? I do. And I don't know if it, you made a really good point about the fact that this was stripped from us because of COVID, because before COVID you had a number of like premier destinations for freestyles. I, th I would say that Sway in the morning was the top one because Sway has been, been doing this for decades now, uh, you know, from, you know, the, the Sway and tech show through Sway in the morning on um, shade 45 funk master flex started doing it maybe four or five years ago. And he had been doing other freestyles, but, for some reason, he just started a just a solo freestyle segment, and that became gigantic. He obviously had the Black Thought freestyle, which was the biggest uh, moment of hip hop that year, and still arguably maybe the biggest freestyle moment we've had in the last like decade or, or longer. Um, I think, and he had the Royce freestyle too, which you and I infamously had to like pass on doing because we were taking a week to not to to um, to boycott gun violence. Um, and I, I don't think that's that's something I wish like had gotten more traction because yeah. there was a lot of like gun violence going on. I think it was after Las Vegas and 51 people were killed. Yeah, we took a stand by not uh, publishing anything that had any kind of reference to gun violence in, for a week. And that was when the Royce uh, freestyle drop um, bootleg Kev uh, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, I will say uh, Westwood. Yeah, Westwood, I'll toot my own horn. I think the backroom freestyle sessions that um, I oversaw at BT on 106 and Park were super dope. We had a lot of great cats come through that and do their thing. Absolutely. But um, I do think that since things have restarted, 
I can't remember a single Sway in the Morning freestyle um, that has crossed my radar. Have, has one crossed yours? No, uh, I can say that not being the case. And, and yeah. also, I mean, since the pandemic started, my daily relationship to hip hop has been less about video subscriptions in general. So I haven't been plugged in like that. And even with Common, I mean, a few hours before we posted, I started to see Pete Rock and other people celebrating this. I was like, oh man, it's Common. You know, I got to, I got to see, you know, Common's an artist that gets me up out of my chair when he does something incredible. And uh, this was that. And I shout out to LA Leakers because, you know, they've had a really diverse list, which was true of Sway and Tech. I think it's true of Flex on his platform. Um, but they're really getting people from all aspects of hip hop coming in and providing an incredible platform for them to show off. Yeah, they have Polo G. I mean, they have all sorts of genres uh, and, and surprising ones, too, because I think people associate him with melodic rap. But yeah. he came on and spit. Uh, so Megan Stallion back in the day, that was a breakthrough moment for her, too, over Tupac beats when when Meg. I mean, that's when she earned my attention. And one other thing that I just want to say to them, and this is by no means a, a, a knock at anyone that we've talked about that's held that down previously, but shout out to Justin and Sour Milk because they really keep the spotlight on the talent. You know, they're not, there aren't reaction shots too much of them, you know? Um, and obviously we'd be remiss not to shout out Stretch and Bobbito, which, you know, are right up there with Sway and Tech is, you know, the pioneers on radio of having this before there was video at every show. But, you know, these guys, they let the art, they let the artists be artists. And that's really, really dope. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I, I hope it continues. I hope some of these come back like Sway been doing it too long to to let it go. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, yeah. but it's great to have it. And so Common goes on, burns it down. And then, you know, I'm going through my new music on, uh, you know, on my app and I see a beautiful revolution part two. And I, I got to confess, I don't even remember <laughs> a beautiful Re- revolution part one, Yeah, <laughs> but um uh, and I and I press play kind of hesitantly because um, a lot of Commons albums of the 2010s haven't really landed with me in the same way that the ones previous to that did. I mean, B is one of my favorite albums, period. Um, like Water for Chocolate is my favorite Common album of all time. Resurrection is fantastic. He's he's had great albums. I know um, the the second one. I, I'm forgetting the name. The one with the Lauren Hill joint is one is your is maybe your favorite, right? Um, one that all makes sense. His third all, album, yeah, you know yeah. that 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 put common, you know, on on my radar in a huge way. I mean, I already knew of him through Resurrection, but that to me was the superior album of the first three. And it's not unlike Andre three thousand, Common did this thing in like ninety nine two thousand, where he was just on the feature level, just killing, you know, and. 199 with Sadat. Um, he had a joint on Socrates' album, Play This, that I've, I've recently even made a song of the day and texted it to you. And then his, his guest verse on Respiration from Black Star. Whatever. And I've said this to Common over the years. I'm like, yo, man. Stakes whatever, is high. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, whatever you were doing in 97, 99, whatever you were drinking, whatever incense you were burning, like, just show me the, show me the key, man. Show me the cheat code because that was incredible art. But I, I agree with yeah. you. I think... I think the last 10 years have been different for Common um, on a response level, you know, in his albums, you know, Black America again, I mean, what a concept or even nobody smiling as you talk about us taking the boycott, um, you know, of content that week and not posting Royce. Common made a whole album that was inspired by, 
you know, the violence and brutality of Chicago at a time. And, you know, when that was making, you know, international headlines and devoted his discography to that. I think that those are huge steps, but they haven't been met with um, the response, you know, even with Let Love two years ago, you and I were at the Roots picnic together and Common premiered a joint produced by Jay Dilla, obviously posthumously a Dilla beat. And we were really excited to share that news. And I remember it getting kind of a tepid response. And I thought, damn, this is a shame because the verse itself was really good. And that made its way onto that album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that song, that, that album, um, Black America Again, was probably the one that stood out most to me. But I remember nobody smiling. I went to a release party for one of those. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but Common performed a lot of the songs. And it was super dope. But I've been a huge fan. You know, I saw him perform a number of times. I think the first time I saw him was at Tramps. And then I saw him at SOB's um, with his band, a black girl named Becky. <laughs> and I remember just how clear his voice was. You know, what, you, what era would that have been? Electric Circus or before? Oh, man, I think it was uh, the B. I think it was around oh. B. Yeah. Okay. So really, really incredible. And, you know, there's something about a lot of times hip hop can, in my opinion, uh, lose a, a couple shades of quality live because a lot of times it's just the dudes playing the records and they're screaming and the mics aren't equalized properly and the vocals just don't sound good or clear. But, but when you go to a show and the sonics are what they should be, which is why the roots are always on point. Common is always like a, an impeccable performer live. His voice just cuts through so clearly. Isaiah Rashad is one of those dudes, too. Um, the Cole concert you and I saw was like that yeah. as well. But, you know, so going back to this album, A Beautiful Revolution Part 2 comes out. And I pressed play, like I said, somewhat hesitantly, but was incredibly pleasantly surprised by what I heard. Um, you know, this is as energetic and inspired as I've heard Common Sound in quite some time. And I think that translated in the freestyle. Now, that's probably why it resonated as much as it did with you and with the, the readers of AFH, because this was one of our biggest posts in quite some time. Um, the album and it just, you know, musically was great. There's a song um, with Black Thought. Um, and and I think it's Sean Kuti called When We Move. Um, this is Fela Kuti's son, I believe. And yep. just it's, you know, Common is also one of those dudes who's embraced world music. I know Drake gets a lot of credit, um, uh, but, you know, a lot of Common's music is Afrobeat. And mm -hmm. this is that. And it just is fantastic. And there and he has multiple collaborations with a woman named PJ. Um but it's one of his best albums sonically in quite some time. And like I said, his flow is very lively, but what did you think about it? I agree with everything you just said. And, and yeah, it, I was really happy for hip hop that, you know, full transparency behind the curtain, a common freestyle pancaked, uh, you know, just in terms of traffic awareness, uh, all that's gone on in the last week with, with, with Drake. Um, you know, I can't say that entirely for Kanye, but I love to see that, not because of who it is, but because of what it is. And, and this is music. This is skills. I really like the album. Um, you know, shout out to Kareem Riggins, who produced it all. And I often feel that, you know, it's, it's not mentioned enough that Kareem and Common have been working together for 25 years. Kareem did the Pops outro on One Day It'll All Make Sense, which I didn't even realize. And, you know, for those that know, Common and Dilla were roommates at the end of 
Dilla's life. I spoke to Common when he was living with Dilla, um, one of the first times we spoke. And, you know, Riggins, uh, Kareem is, you know, Dilla's kind of instrumental right hand, you know, can play the drums, can play all these different things. And they had worked together on some of Dilla's albums, like Welcome to Detroit um, and, and, and some of the other stuff after that. So that's not even being talked about. But I, I think there is a world music element here. And there's also something going on, you know, in the Louisiana, like the Delta, um, the fact that he has Marcus King, um, who, you know, throughout the pandemic, I've discovered or rediscovered a love of blues music. And Marcus King is one of the contemporary movers and shakers of that. And they have a joint on here called Poetry, also with Isaiah Sharkley, that it's probably my song of the album. Um, and, and to your point, you know, Calm just, just kills it with, you know, lyrical content and what he has to say. And then I also like the song right after it, Saving Grace with the Alabama Shakes, Brittany Howard, who doesn't even need that, uh, that, that qualifier. I mean, her own solo music is, is incredible and she is a phenomenal performer. So again, it, this album has like, you have a, a, a tinge of Afrobeat, but a, kind of some blues and bluegrass and roots music from the American South. And, you know, again, I give Common so much credit because thematically as well as musically every album is different you know I mean Common caught hell for Electric Circus which you know I think was in large part due to the fact of just how much we including you and I love the one you know like Water for Chocolate and he comes with this album with a live band very much Prince inspired some of it even recorded at Paisley Park and it wasn't what we wanted but you know what I listened to that album in retrospect and it was very ahead of its time. And there's moments from it that I still take with me today. Um, you know, the other universal mind control, which was common kind of going back to electro funk and, you know, was pan um, by and large. And again, I mean, shout out to a guy who isn't afraid to take the ball and try something new with it time and time again. And I agree with you. I mean, this album is, is, is very much swimming around my top albums of the year list. And I feel that, you know, I'm so happy we have this venue to, to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, Electric Circus, and I did have that reaction to it. But Universal Mind Control, I love because that took me back to those days. And it sounded very much like um, looking for the perfect beat, um, you know, African Mabotic and then Soul Side Force. And we're going to talk about him in a few minutes, too. Um, but then it also had Come Close on it, too, which is one of my favorite uh, common joints, you know, I, I think his ballads uh, or, or his love songs, I should say, like The Light and Come Close are where he really stands out. And then the Come Closer remix came from that by Pharrell, uh, which was to the uh, Benita Applebaum. Yeah, uh, I track, forgot about that. Yeah, that which dope. is incredible, you know, yeah. so that, that yeah, you're right. That that album keeps bearing fruit. And this one, you know, you know, so sonically, again, it sounds great. And part of it, too, might be that the streaming platforms are starting to upgrade their technology. So Apple uh, has got like a lossless um, format now and Spotify is, is going to do it soon, too. And so when you do that, you can hear the music breathe differently. You can hear every nuance in it. And this one having the live instrumentation that it does, because a lot of times when you're compressed with samples and things like that, you don't get that sonic energy. But the live instrumentation really lets it breathe. And this one, this album features a lot of that. So this is also the opposite. You mentioned Drake. This is the opposite of Ye and Drake in that it's only 11 songs, you know, to mm -hmm. uh, Drake's 21 and Kanye's 27. And 
You know, Drake is 88 minutes and Kanye is, is almost two hours. This is only 38 minutes long. So it's a really quick and easy listen. I will listen to it multiple times. I want to yep. spend a lot more time with it. It's interesting that it comes a week after Drake uh, because it's actually the third consecutive week that um, people who have you know, like kind of had some some dust ups uh, <laughs> are, are releasing albums because Ye and or, or Drake and uh, Common you know, there was uh, I can't remember which song Common released that was dissing Drake. Oh, So Sweet. He had a song called So Sweet where he was dissing Drake. And then Drake came back at him on Stay Scheming with yeah. um, Rick yeah. Ross and um, uh, French Montana. And uh, I don't to my knowledge, I don't know if they've ever resolved their differences. Um I think I read that they adapted up at an award show or okay. a sporting event, all-star weekend or something like that. I think it's done. I think it's put to bed. And actually, as, as you were talking about, you know, the best album common put out previous to this of recent, you know, a dreamer, the dreamer, the believer was a really good album to me that I felt like got lost in the sauce, sort of like what we were talking about with Pusha or even with these Kanye and Drake albums, you know, what people look for and what they run with. That was his reunion with No ID. He had a Nas collaboration on there that I really loved. And, you know, what people tend to remember about 2011 Common is beefing with Drake. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago. So that's why I say, you know, the last 10 years, um, you know, so, okay. Common is a Tony away from having an EGOT. Jennifer Hudson just made the news this week. She won an Emmy for producing a show called Oculus uh, quest and you know she has an oscar obviously from dream girls and a couple of grammys uh she was a lot of people believe snubbed um because the color purple the soundtrack that she won a, a grammy for um was also a play and she didn't get a tony nomination for that but of these two common and jennifer hudson which one do you think has a greater chance of getting an egot or which one will get it sooner i think jennifer can get it sooner I think that Common has it in him. And, you know, uh, even the way that Common has delivered um, some of his songs, you know, I've seen it, we've covered it on the site when he's done performances, I think on Fallon with the Roots. Um, Common is a, is, a, is a true artist to every level. And if it was worth his time, I could see him going to Broadway. And even what's funny is, you know, he mentions that in the freestyle, damn near EGOT and he's still hip hop which I thought was like, boom, that's the, that's the thesis of, of what exactly we're talking about. But I digress. Who do you think can get it first? And, and, and if not common, does he have it within him? Yeah, I think Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer, she's about to do come out with the Aretha. I think she, it may be out already, the Aretha Franklin film. And mm -hmm. she's just such a strong singer and actress and, and is doing so much work in those uh, genres now that I think that, she's probably the most likely to get another Broadway gig. I don't know, uh, you know, when or if Common would be able to get that kind of gig. Um, and so I think she's probably got the best chance of doing it. Let me ask you one other question. You know, I think of Common in this chapter of the last especially five years, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of speech in Arrested Development. I mean, you and I are both Arrested Development fans. Is that fair to say? Yes, Absolutely. And there's certain artists in hip hop that I feel that, you know, the nice guy image um, holds them back. I mean, Common has come so far from, you know, can I borrow a dollar Common, let alone beefing with Ice Cube, so on and so forth. 
but my mom knows who common is you know your mom probably knows who common is like like he has he has become all of these things do you think that that has gotten in the way of people appreciating strictly just his his mc skills that's an interesting question uh i don't think so only because there are two other artists I can think of who have kind of evolved into that in Hollywood, but still people regard them as spitters. One is Ice Cube, who was making, you know, shows, uh, movies like Are We There Yet? and other like really family friendly films. But he's still Ice Cube to most people. Most a lot of people still think of him first and foremost as that dude from N.W.A., from, you know, America's Most Wanted, from you know, the rap that he did in the 90s that established who he is. Um, the second is, um, um, I'm losing my train of, oh, LL Cool J. So LL, you know, Spitter, like for 20 years, like was the self-proclaimed GOAT, and I still think is should be in that conversation. And, you know, now he's the guy on NCI and who's been acting for years and, and lip sync battle and all these things. But, to hip hop people, he's still LL and that dude who will get on the mic and will surprise you with a Dr. Dre accompanied freestyle and, you know, ring some heads, um, you know, when he needs to. So I think that common is the same way in hip hop. And to your point, that's why this freestyle was important. You know, he, he let people know who he is again. Yeah. I mean, common's always done that. I, I think is it, um, it's after one of his songs, remember on like water for chocolate, I believe where he, turns into a pimp and like you know is talking to one of his his ladies and you know using the b word and all of that commons had fun with that but i do feel that in a different way than cube i mean cube cube can easily flick the switch back into you know 91 cube and there's opportunities i think of him checking bill maher which we covered on the site and ll has always carried himself with such a air of respect i mean truly a nice guy but you know if i saw ll having dinner with you know his wife next to me i might not want to run out like i might give the respect because you don't want to get checked and i feel like common is so approachable i mean and he's been that way for a while that i do feel that it's not sometimes cool to be common fan and, and recently man i did a i was a guest on a podcast called acquired taste with cell and i was I talked about Common. Common is an artist that has been in my top five list and I'm perfectly proud to say it. And maybe that shows through in some of um, some of the ways that I, I view this freestyle in this album. But I, I say all that to say, I think it's time that we as hip hop give this man his, uh, his, his due and his flowers. And if you weren't interested or motivated to listen to a new album by Common, now is your chance. You will not be disappointed. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's funny that you use that example of approachability because the first time I ever met Common, I was actually in a spa. I just, <laughs> just had a massage. Yeah. Apparently he did too. And we were in the locker room. Literally, uh, both of us, uh, you know, were unclothed. And, you know, it's an awkward moment. Like, it's like, oh man, this is Common. Like, yeah. so we both got dressed in silence. And once we were dressed, I was like, hey, what's up, man, you know? <laughs> Much respect, Reggie from BT, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He was like, oh, we're, you know, how you doing? Like, blah, blah, blah. But it was, um, you know, it's just like, it was like this, this you know, the, the etiquette that you have when you're standing in the bathroom at the urinals times 10. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, um, but yeah, but he is definitely an, an approachable 
warm, engaging dude, but I, I don't think it takes away from his rap credibility. Since you shared a vulnerable common story, I will as well. <laughs> 2000, 2005, right after Beat comes out, I was living in Philly, but I went home. I, late in life, I was in my 20s, had to get all four wisdom teeth removed. So you need somebody that's like making sure you don't like choke in your sleep or all that. So I, you know, went back as we're talking about moms. And I stayed with my mom in Pittsburgh. And back then, you know, I needed to record all of my interviews on a landline so I could record it into a tape. And, you know, I'm on heavy painkillers. So passed out space that I had an interview, very rare uh, time that happened in common called and my mom answered and they carried on for like three or four minutes. <laughs> and I remember I woke up and she was like, uh, common called. And this was before he was, you know, in, in film. Um, and I just remember being really embarrassed that that had happened. Um, but also kind of humored by the fact that they spoke. And when I did speak to Common like a day or so later, he was real cool about it. I mean, shout out to him. But yeah, man, that's funny. We both got somewhat vulnerable uh, Rashid stories. Yeah, man. And shout out to your mom. She's made a, a cameo in a past <laughs> podcast. And, and so, This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, so we talked about universal mind control and it's electro funk uh influences and and a pioneer of electro funk and hip-hop generally has been in the news so you and i have gone back and forth about this you know for for those who've watched this in the past we've talked about the fact that we have a document that's kind of like our living breathing writing room and it's not only a place where we put ideas but we have an exchange of dialogue it's where we actually kind of workshop what we're going to talk about how we're going to talk about it why we're going to talk about it if we're going to talk about it and one of the things we've gone back and forth about this week is Africa Mambata being in the news and whether or not we should cover it. It's a very, very sensitive subject. It is incredibly uncomfortable. It's unfortunate on many levels, tragic, sad, um, disturbing. There's not enough like adjectives that I can put to talk about just how tough of a subject this is. And you know, the whole premise of Ambrose Verhez is we try and deal in positivity. We try, you know, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the beast and stuff like that because we're, we're not going to put hip hop on a pedestal. We understand it's a competitive culture and that resonates with people and with us too. But we, we try not to get into gossip. We try not to get into the like sordid details of people's lives and things like that. But on occasion, there's something that affects someone who is so critical to hip hop culture that we do cover it because it's newsworthy. And, you know, we try and put a spin on it that has more depth, more uh, respect and just doesn't, you know, dabble in the salaciousness. But this is one that's very, very tough. And I was not down for it. Jake was down to report it. And we started talking about it before we started recording this podcast. And I said, you know what, let's just have this conversation and be transparent with the people who engage with this podcast about our process. And so here we are, Africa Bambata. Um, Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Um, You know, so for those that are not aware, uh, five years ago, um, 
2016, Africa Bambata was accused by a man named Ronald Savage, uh, a Bronx politician, of you know sexual assault that had transpired during the early 1980s. Um, and, and there is really well done, in my opinion, stories on Ambrosia for Heads that covered this. Um, you know, we kind of had the same discussions in the documents five years ago and felt that it was our obligation to our readers, to, you know, the alleged victims, to just how we cover this culture to report it. Um, and since that time, at first, Africa Bambada vehemently, you know, released a statement, vehemently denied those accusations. Um, at least two other accusers came forward with similar accusations that Bambada had, you know, uh, varying, varying, um, you know, sexual misconduct, you know, in, including rape and sodomy when they were of underage. And that came forward during that time, the same year, 2016, Africa Bambada steps down as kind of the um, president and face of the Universal Zulu Nation, the organization that is near and dear to hip hop and something that Africa Bambada created in the 1970s with some other individuals as an alternative to street gangs um, or street organizations in the Bronx and had unified all of these um, different organizations under the you know, same tenets that hip hop says of you know, peace, love, having fun, understanding, you know, so on and so forth. And since that time, I mean, Africa Bambada has been you know, very much removed from the public light. Um, you know, as those, uh, you know, victims have spoken in various publications um, about, you know, their experience and, and just how much it affected their lives. This uh, week, you know, we learned that um, formal charges were pressed. Um, the individual pressing them is just being named John Doe uh, due to the sensitivities and, and the rights that they have. No formal name, you know, has been released to the public. But you know, in August 4th, it was filed in the New York State Supreme Court. And this individual alleged that between 1991 and 1995, he was sex trafficked. And the misconduct took place at BAM's residence um, in the Bronx, in the Bronx, Bronx River section. Um, and, you know, at this point, it looks very likely that Africa Bambata will be in court um, to to defend his position and you know this is civil liability right this is not not criminal this is civil court. as i understand it correct yeah. you know and rolling stone pitchfork i mean this this has been covered um you know out there and, and it's interesting to me just as a time out you know um you know I, i've i've been a fan of the star and buck wild show since they were on you know terrestrial radio in new york and in philadelphia elsewhere and this is something that Starr in particular had talked about for years and then recently through his own platforms was instrumental in getting some of the um, accusers to come forward and, and speak about. Um, and this week, one other thing that I should add is Universal Zulu Nation, um, you know, in a comment to several publications, reminded them of their position that this is an Africa Bambata issue. This is not a UZN issue. Um, and they can take all those matters up. BAM has not, as of the time we're recording this, released a statement. But um, yeah, I mean, to, to what you said, and I appreciate that precursor, it's a really, really messy situation. And it's, um, you know, it's complicated that one of the, the longtime pioneers of hip hop, um, you know, allegedly, you know, did these heinous acts. And it, it, what was interesting to me is, 
in the weeks and months leading up to those 2016 allegations, there were people, including um, you know KRS-One and Crazy Legs. There was a there was a coalition of fellow you know hip hop legends that were really standing around Africa Bambata and positioning him as um, you know one of the true founders. You know, coming off of August, we celebrate you know DJ Cool Herc and rightfully so. But Afro Bambata, you know, was very much a part of that. And so was Grandmaster Flash. And Flash has come forward and even, even you know, said, now that Bam's no longer in the discussion due to this, Herc, give me my props. Let's do this together. And that obviously hasn't happened. Um, so at the same time as, you know, these, you know, accusations, it's very much a tug of war over, you know, the pioneers and founders of this thing that we love and the reason why you and I have this podcast. Yeah, it's a really unfortunate situation, very difficult, you know, um, calls into question, you know, whether you should separate the person from the product or, you know, the the person from the art. I, I think it gets very, very difficult to start to cancel everything that a person has done because, um, you know, where does that stop? You know, um, but obviously, you know, if these accusations are true then there is no co-signing there's you know it is a very um disturbing and unfortunate thing to have happened um you know we'll see what happens in court but yeah it's been a a really tough thing to to discuss and cover over the years yeah and i'll just say this and i mean this is speculation but you know from what i've understand i do not know that African Bot is in the United States right now. And, you know, we've seen Roman Polanski being a great example of folks being accused of, of heinous things that just do not return. I'll be curious how this plays out. Um, you know, my, my heart and sympathies go out to all of these victims, you know, and I've, I've been put in a hard position as a view of, you know, do we talk about it here? And also, you know, even in a situation like celebrating every August, August 11th, this birthday of hip hop, which is obviously, you know, centered around Cool Herc and his sister Cindy in the rec center, you know, at 1520, um, you know, Sedgwick, I, I think it is our obligation to mention Bambada historically. And for me, you know, his, that goes with his contributions and his records. And, and that part doesn't change, but you, you know, you got to, you have to, we have to, as a culture, um, you know, talk about these things that are messy as well. And, you know, it's not lost on me that several of the pioneers of rock and roll, as we understand it, have, you know, similar accusations and transgressions that were treated differently in those times. And we continue, you know, the rock and roll community continues to play their music. Um, it's, it's a complicated situation. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. So moving on to, um, more positive things. One of the things, fruits that the Drake album yielded was a lot of people have started to get on his champagne poetry track and uh, put their own touch on it. And Freddie Gibbs did that with the champagne poetry freestyle, which was, I'd say, first of all, really well done. Another great freestyle, but then also controversial. I'm sure intentional. He's trying to, um, I think he's trying to capitalize on a couple of zeitgeist moments. So 
he uses a Drake track, you know, to take shots at Kendrick Lamar. And it was a response almost, it was a response to Kendrick's Baby King Family Ties verse, similar to the way that a lot of people came at Kendrick after he dropped control, because, you know, Kendrick was very, very aggressive in that Family Ties verse saying he's smoking on your top fives and don't address him unless it's four letters, which most people assume is GOAT. So um, Gibbs hit him, hit, hit him with a couple shots. And he also took some shots at BET, uh, saying that they had ignored his work um, almost as if he wasn't Black. And at the Grammys, um, saying that the album Alfredo that he did last year with Alchemist was the best of the year. And that even Nas, who had won the uh, Best Rap Album Award for King's Disease, had acknowledged that. So... Um, you know, pretty pretty tough words from from Gangsta Gibbs. Yeah, what was your take on the freestyle? I didn't like it as much as you did. Um, you know, I, I agree with everything that you said. You know, in terms of unpacking it, uh, let's not forget. You know, when Kendrick and Kanye did No More Parties in L.A., Gibbs just like this followed with his own rendition, which had complicated history given the fact that that was a Mad Lib track and all of that. I mean, Gibbs is unafraid of mixing it up, and he's been very outspoken throughout his career. You know, most notably, we've seen that with his relationship with Jeezy, but also, you know, Gibbs, Gibbs talks it like he walks it. Um, I don't know that I was ready for this one. I mean, it, it, it did just drop. Um, I'm still on some, okay, let's let the original breathe. But Gibbs and Drake have two very different rap aesthetics, although I believe Freddie Gibbs put Drake in his top five. We covered that on this podcast, did we not? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Drake kind of has this, you know, smooth, you know, image and, and Gibbs is, you know, kind of the opposite. Um, when he said it, you know, I, I think that Kendrick puts those things out there for the challenging and it's it's within Gibbs's nature to do that. Um, I would like him to prove that point with some more great music. As far as the Grammys, my own take is this. Um, you know, we talked about it last year earlier this year, I believe the allegory was the best album that competed. I think that wholeheartedly and our own readers agreed with us that the previous year in um, January of 2020, Freddie Gibbs was robbed. I mean, Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib with Bandana wasn't even nominated. And that to me, the only other album that should have possibly won that year in that category is Rhapsody's Eve. Um, and of course, that night went to Tyler for Igor and even Tyler was like it wasn't a rap album. So I do agree with Gibbs. I mean, he continues to be slept on and he does all these great accomplishments. Um, the BET thing is funny. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I need some more show and prove uh, in, as, as far as competing with Kendrick. And that's just me. Well, speaking of Kendrick, he had a second verse that came out on Range Brothers, uh, Baby Kim's, uh, a song on Baby Kim's new album, which came out on Friday. Um, and this one did not get the same kind of reaction that the, that, that the, the Family Ties verse did. Uh, it was a fine verse. You know, I think it was really just like four lines, really, when it came down to it and some ad libs. But the ad libs have been getting clowned um, on the Internet. Have you have you seen that? Yeah, I saw some things. You mean the top of the morning? Yeah, <laughs> and some other stuff. Like yeah. people hang on every single word with Kendrick, which is a credit to who he is. You know yeah. that that he can literally break the internet with, with with a verse. But I think sometimes people take him a bit too seriously. You know, sometimes it's just it's it's fun. It is what it is. It's not a huge statement and doesn't need to be. Um, and this is one where it's like you know, okay, cool. You know, 
these are just the times we're living in. People want laughs. People have ideas. That's kind of where comedy's at. And uh, yeah, but I agree with you. I mean, I think for as great as Family Ties was, uh, Range Brothers, you know, and you and I texted about it briefly. You know, it's cool. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Did you listen to Kane's album? I am two thirds through it. And it's funny because that's two thirds I keep coming back to. I really like the way that it opens. Um, he's got a lot of heart and soul and conviction to him. And then there are songs on there that, you know, and this is probably an age thing. I'm damn near twice dude's age, <laughs> but uh, that just are kind of lost on me. But similar to Family Ties, I don't put it, I don't, it's not lost on me that over time, over multiple listens, um, this one can catch up to me. I thought it was an interesting album, but it's one, every time I play it, I, I don't have that full window to listen to sort of what we're talking about with time. Um, but what about you? Yeah, I've only listened to it once and his music, I've, I've learned with him, especially uh, even Family Ties was this way to not really speak about his music until I spent some time with it because mm -hmm. his music and his, his concepts in general are just very complex, Yeah, deceptively so. Uh, immediate standout for me, though, was Issues, which I really, really loved. Uh, and the video for that came out. He has he's, uh, several videos now where he doesn't actually lip sync the vocals. Sometimes we'll have people around him doing it. Other times he'll just be like just stone faced and walking or riding a bike as is the case in this video. And I think it's a really interesting aesthetic. It's something that like has become uniquely his, I think. And uh, that song is just fantastic. I love it. Uh, obviously I love um, family ties do Rag Activity is, is a joint that he'd released before with, with Travis Scott. Um, I like the fact that his features are him and the artist instead of featuring mm -hmm. the artist. But I need to spend some more time with it. Um, there are definitely some songs that, you know, might not ever become my cup of tea. But I think that I'm going to like the album more and more as it goes. Trademark USA is the name of the opener that I've probably played 10 times since it came out. And I added it right to my playlist. And I'm just like, wow, this, this shows me the dimension and range of an artist. And on that particular track, he's on his own. Because up until this point, my biggest look for Keem was obviously just a few weeks ago with Family Ties. So yeah, I'm going to keep sitting with it. I like the way you put that. Yeah. And so other new music, an artist named Yeba came out with an album. And I had never heard of Yeba until last week. We talked about her. She was on Certified Lover Boy. Not only was she on the album, but the song, I think, name checks her. And she's the only person who has a vocal on the album, on the, on, the, on the song, which is crazy. So she's on a Drake album with a song, and she's the only person who sings and, and is heard on it. And so I thought that was really, really interesting. It's called Yeba's Heartbreak. Drake has done this before where he's co-signed artists and made them huge. And what, what an incredible intro to... How, go from no one or relatively no one have, having ever heard from you to being on the biggest album of the year and then dropping your your album just a week later in a one week period it's insane yeah yeah really crazy so shout out to her i like the album really interesting um almost like a yuna type of sound you know okay yeah uh, yuna um you know um uh Janae Eco, that that kind of sound so really really cool I need to check that one out it was a it was a big week for music um you know I mentioned it earlier in the podcast but AZ put out Do or Die 2 
which, um, you know, I, I don't, we're not going to talk about too much because I think that there will be time for toast and tea with that one uh, for us on an upcoming episode. But I think that one of the takeaways was, is it's, you know, AZ just stays in stride. And, you know, you and I have talked about artists like Royce and Evidence and, you know, these guys that had put in work in, you know, in the late 90s or the early 90s that, that have never deviated. And AZ has been really careful about his craft. I mean, he hasn't put out a project in 11 years, just a couple of little, you know, street joints and then some Lucy's. But he really went back. And I thought it's a very evolved album. I love the fact that he went and got Pete Rock and Buck Wild on there, who contributed to the original back in 95. And you put um, Keep It Real, which I think is, you know, just great standalone AZ. He's the only person on the song. Um, on our playlist right now, it's currently the first song and people need to subscribe and, and, and check that joint out. And then also just on the exciting tip of, as far as collaborations, he's got a joint called Ritual with Conway the Machine and Lil Wayne on an Alchemist beat. And I really like this record a lot. And I think that Wayne, um, you know, on paper, this one might sound exciting, but it might sound like a mashup in your mind. All three of them just bring their A game. But, you know, Wayne, who's 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 put out some great records in recent years. Um, just really a top tier feature, in my opinion, on that one. Yeah, I agree with you. And I share your opinion that we'll probably talk about this more extensively on another app. So I'll, I'll let your words stand because I agree with it all. But yeah, uh, great to see this one finally make it 20 years in the making um, or, you know, uh, thereabouts since the, the, the first Doe or Die. So shout out to AZ for sure. You know, another album that came out on Friday was a posthumous release um, from Gift of Gab from Black Alicious, who died in June, um, June 18th, to be exact. And at the time of his death, he had been working on an album called Finding Inspiration Somehow, which is an interesting title. And it comes out through Nature Sounds, which, um, you know, has put out albums by Pete Rock and Blue, Durag Dynasty with Alchemist, you know, a really good catalog over the last 20 years. I don't know that they've worked previously with Gab that I can remember. But, um, you know, as I, I think I've talked about on this podcast, I'm a huge Black Alicious fan. I, uh, I often think that, you know, the Quantum Projects and Soul Sides crew is, is criminally overlooked um, when we talk about underground hip hop in the 90s and early 2000s. And Gift of Gab is a phenomenal MC. You and I recently spoke about great voices in hip hop. And he has just such a rich mahogany voice. And on top of it, you know, for a bigger guy, what he could do with his flow in terms of just speed it up, slow it down, the alliteration. I think a lot of people know Black Alicious through Alphabet Aerobics, you know, which um, is one of several classic hip hop songs that really plays with the alphabet and alliteration and sequence. But to me, they've always been sort of like Biz and just a friend. Black Alicious has always been so much more than that. There's a lot of soul to that group. Um, and I encourage anyone who's never heard it, to check out the Melodica EP that they came out with in the early days with Latirix and DJ Shadow. But, you know, from this album, I was eager to check it out just because I knew Gab, uh, his loss has affected me. And I wanted to see what the man had to say. I spoke about it last week with his song Alchemy. And I really enjoy this joint. Um, you know, it's, it's sad because, you know, sort of like the title may suggest, um, it's kind of a positive album in the face of depressing times. He has a record on there called You're Gonna Make It in the End that is, you know, just kind of like vitamin C for the heart and soul of, um, you know, you, you know, kind of we will survive type joint. 
I, I mentioned Alchemy. Um, and also he remixed a song that we had covered on AFH some years back, the gentrification song, which, you know, Gab was from, uh, you know, born in Los Angeles, but rep Sacramento. I think anybody that knows anything about what's going on in Northern California knows that gentr gentrification is real as it is in the city you live in and the city I live in. And um, it's a great, you know, we've talked to, we've, we've covered it with regards to like Master Ace in Brooklyn and a lot of rappers, Sky Zoo are covering gentrification, but this is a really great example of that. So for anyone that appreciated Black Alicious, Soul Sides, Quantum, um, definitely an album worth checking out. And it's certainly bittersweet because the man who made it, you know, passed away after really fighting uh, with his kidney disease, including getting a transplant last year. Or um, I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I definitely will. Um, I definitely appreciated some of their work. I'm not as familiar with it as as you are, but I have been listening to it for 20 plus years now. So, yeah, sad, man. Very, very sad. So many losses this year. So many losses. Yeah, man. We put Black Alicious to our credit when we did our Finding the Goat Greatest Groups. They were in there, um, which I'm one of those things I'm just kind of proud of. Um, so one other album that I'm just going to shout out and then two Lucy's. Folks may or may not be familiar with Demu the Fudge Monk. Um, he's a, certainly a star within the beat community. I call it instrumental hip hop. Some folks out there call it lo-fi. There's a lot of debates over the terminology. But, um, you know, as somebody that has worked with guys like Blue um, and other MCs on the production tip, him and Blue put out an exceptional album a few years ago. I think we may have even spoken about it with Blue when we had him and Mickey Fax on a few episodes ago. But he put out a joint called Conversation Piece, which gave him access to the KPM library, um, which is interesting. I mean, I know a lot about sampling. I'm not up on library records. You know what those are? No. So, I mean, those were like. Oh, you stock. mean you mean like uh, like stock stock music libraries? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I built one at BT. I, I oh, damn. Libraries. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool flex. I the like BT it. collection. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I guess for those of that follow library records, when you talk to guys like Alchemist or Vanderslice and, you know, Stu Bangas, these heavy duty diggers that, you know, build up names for themselves, library records are sacred, you know, because especially during the 70s and 80s, they had really good sounds. And if you sampled them, you know, they were harder to track. Now with technology, different stories. So KPM gave Damu access to hit their, their archives, do what you will. And we've, we've kind of seen that more and more with like Mad Lib and Blue Note, um, you know, just some some different folks like that. And what's cool is it's not an instrumental album. He brought Blue and Nitty Scott MC and Insight. And I've really been enjoying it. And it's a very artful, you know, veers into jazz. There's all these complex rhythms. Um, but I've that's my most listened to album of the last week. I mean, in the face of Donda and CLB, that is what I keep playing. So I wanted to shout that out on this venue. Um, also, just as a note, Blue and Exile, you know, who made Below the Heavens recently reunited for a new joint called Call Me Blue, which has a classic 80s hip hop sample in its beat that I will not state, but that people will enjoy. Um, and yeah, just one other thing that I'll mention too is uh, Bronze Nazareth, who is you know, a Wu-Tang Clan affiliate, has a new album produced by Rock Marciano in full. And he put out his first uh, single this week called The Precipice, which you know, Bronze is one of those guys um, among the greater Wu-Tang family tree that I feel like makes really good music, sometimes doesn't get mentioned enough. And the fact that this one, he's working with Rock and Rock had all these ties to different Wu members. Um, yeah, it excites me. So I've been playing that one a lot too. 
Yeah, I don't think Rock gets enough credit for his production chops, man. Just so soulful. Like that dude is supremely talented and has carved out his own genre. And he's fathered a lot of styles too, you know, bringing it all the way back to Kanye. Uh, I think Ob's the end of the spectrum from melodic rap. He's carved out that connoisseur rap term that our, our guy Justin Hunt, our extended family from AFH, uses and that I think is is very, very um, descriptive of what this is. So, yeah, shout out to that. And I, so I got a couple couple of I need to download today then. So that's dope. Yeah, man. Any other new music for you this week that, that is worth highlighting? Not hip hop, man. I downloaded a bunch of stuff. Um, I told you about Yeba. Um, I listened to Jay Balvin, um, Jose. Um, you know, I listened to, I've actually downloaded Starcross by Casey Musgra- Musgraves. Going to check okay. that out. Um, and we talked about Keem. So, yeah, that, that's, that's it for me. You put me on to what may be my favorite album this year, and it's not in the hip-hop genre, uh, Cleo Soul, um, mm. you know, which that's another one that I just really enjoy. Her album is called Mother. Um, yeah, man, a lot of good music out there. I got to check out some of those that you just mentioned. But um, what's, uh, what's your song of the week, man? Well, song of the week, that's a tough one, man. I'm going to go with uh, When We Move, Common, with Black Thought, uh, just to, and, and Sean Kuti. I, I just think it's just so dynamic and so great to hear coming back enjoying himself with hip-hop really dope yeah man i like that i uh i'm gonna shout out a joint that i neglected to mention called roof by wiki uh people might know wiki from rat king which was a you know harlem group that was put on to me by ad rock of the beastie boys when he remixed some of their stuff i think we covered it on afh like you know eight nine seven eight nine years ago but i really enjoy i mean you know at a time when new york is changing um i love the fact that wiki makes these records that really feel super authentic to me he's got a great flow great vulnerability and personality and the song is about all the different things over the years that he's done on the roof um which might sound mundane um but there's a lot of depth and and just slickness to that so i encourage everyone to check that joint out that sounds dope well yo glad we did it man always a pleasure yeah until we do it again, man, we got some treats coming up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. All right, man. Peace. Peace.